you being secure is not keeping you in God's kingdom. This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Eric. Good morning. And Karen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Tracy. Good morning. So this podcast, because of some, uh, some 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 shenanigans I pulled here a while back, today is the first day of the time change. I don't know. Are we in daylight savings or are we? Or did we end daylight savings? I never know how that works. I don't either. <laughs> it's funny though; it's a good time of year. You know, when all of a sudden we get up and hey, the sun's up in the sky again. So it's kind of, kind of nice. But um, you know, it's the idea that uh, this is going to land right before Christmas puts starts putting things into a different perspective too. Because man, it's almost the end of the year. Can't believe it's almost the end of the year. And uh, I don't know. I would ask if anybody has plans for the holiday, but it's too early. <laughs> <laughs> there's just too many things going on right now to go i, I don't know you know so but um i don't know just the uh just the aspect of the way time man time just doesn't stop does it well i guess we gained an hour this time so that's pretty cool um yeah hooray an extra hour of 2021 that's <laughs> a bargain well well we, they took one they took one away earlier in the year so that was pretty cool and now we get it back though so it's like you could have kept it so yeah, anyway, that's where we're sitting. That's where we're standing. That's how that's uh that's our context for where we're where we're starting our day here. But um as far as context of the podcast, let's take a look at what we've got going on. We're looking at Isaiah chapters uh starting in uh, Isaiah chapter 44. Now we left off last week in 43 with God pleading pleading with I guess you could say who was left of Israel, essentially it's the the tribe of Judah, but pleading with them to come back. It's like, come back, you guys, just come back. I'm here, come back. Yes, you've done some stupid things, um, but I'm not giving up on you. So please just come back. And so as we start episode, or episode, as we start chapter 44 in Isaiah, it begins with, um, it's like, even though, despite all that, you still have, Despite your your unfaithfulness, uh, God is still willing to be there to bless them and asking God to turn back. I don't know. I think that's kind of a that is such it's such an interesting aspect of God that gets overlooked so often, not in Scripture, but by humanity in general, who tend to just think of God as the great smiter but we we are serving a God. We're talking about a God here that wants to bless us despite our faults and and pull us back. And maybe in some ways, it's almost like he wants even more to bless us because we have further to be lifted up. What do you think? I think this is the story of the Old Testament. We, you. Mm-hmm. There, people say, well, the Old Testament was, you know, your your works and earning, and the New Testament was grace. It, it would be diff- impossible to read the prophets that we have and Isaiah, and for me not to come away with the Old Testament is absolutely loaded with grace, because these people 
do not deserve it. They don't deserve it. And God knew this from the very beginning. They seem to have forgotten it. In in uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 9, God says, I'm giving you this good land, not because you're righteous, because you're actually a very stiff-necked people. I mean, just so here they're living it out, and God is, he's asking them to turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turn around. And, it, and it's, um, you know, it's Isaiah... It's like he's like saying, okay, who can who can compare to God? When you get into you know verses six, who can compare to God? He's he's declared what's coming and what's gonna happen. And um how, is it God who says it? There's no other rock. No other rock. We've talked so many times about how how who the rock really is. And we're not talking Dwayne Johnson here. We're talking about uh, Jesus. We're talking about God the Father, you know, the rock, the the, st- the one that's stable, the one that is substantial, uh, and who can compare to him? And that that really is kind of the theme of what we read this week, because we're going to talk a lot. Again, there's been a lot of talk about idolatry and and who is the real God. You know, where are you going to put your faith? And and this is uh, this is kind of where Isaiah is going with all of this is is. You know, we have a real God that we believe in. We have a real God that that created everything, that sustains everything, that has has you know has has made everything. So when we get as we continue on with the chapter and 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 talking about the idolatry, he comes right out. It's basically you know the foolishness of idolatry. You know, here in the twenty first century. Idolatry for us is so different from what it would have been to the Israelites back then. Our idolatry tends, we tend to focus on not so much, you know, little statues in the corner, but we'll we'll focus on other things that we've set up as idols for ourselves, whether they be celebrity, whether they be uh, political, whether they be, you know, tangible objects, uh, just the things that we place our faith in and Isaiah and God here are talking about the foolishness of that. And basically starting out, it's like, why would anyone make for themselves something to worship? What did you think about uh, here in Isaiah 44? We're talking about all this, you know, creating idols and then bowing down to them. You know, I was looking at that and the way it starts is it, it starts as it's, as we've seen it, you know, through our studies before, it's still God reiterating that, you know what, you're, you're my chosen people, but mm-hmm. you're, you're not pulling away from idolatry. Yeah. And you need to. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a fascinating concept there, too, where God keeps considering them his people when they keep, like, actively trying to pull away from him. Right. That's, that's kind of a fascinating thought there, too. I remember being scandalized as a child when I discovered the word whoring in the Bible because it would God would continually tell his people to stop whoring after other gods. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, rereading this stuff as an adult, I'm kind of like, mm, yep, there's really no other word for that. That's that is blatant whoredom, <sighs> unfaithfulness, just terrible. Yeah, it's uh it's a very descriptive word when you stop and think about what all it entails. 
And when you when you really get into thinking about how God relates to us or how he wants to relate to us and the intimacy of that, and you start seeing some of those descriptions in the Bible of, you know, uh, you know, bride and husband. And, yeah. you know, we've talked before about the concept of what it means <laughs> to know your wife and have a child and that, how that how God wants to know us. And that kind of int- intimacy. And so then when you get into, like you say, Karen, whoring, all of that in- intimacy put into the wrong place, it's it's a very, it's a, it's it's descriptive <laughs> and a bit graphic, uh, but very, very apt, very uh, correct. Yeah. You know, talking about putting intimacy like that in other places. So there were two there were two passages in this week's reading. One is in chapter 44, one is in chapter 46. And they draw the same parallel and they both get down to the same bottom line. And it's the bottom line that matters, right? Like the parallel is just a way to, you know, the the illustration is just a way to make a point. The point is the point. And so the first one is in chapter 44 and it talks about how a carpenter takes a piece of wood you know, like a good wood, cedar, cypress, or oak, like good wood. We're not talking some rotted out piece of whatever. No, he goes and gets good wood. And he uses this chunk of wood. He takes half of it and he lights a fire and he uses it to warm himself or make his dinner. And then with the other half, he makes a god. He takes chisels and he puts a lot of work into it and he gives it a nice shape. And then he bows himself down and he worships it. So he sits in front of his fire and he says, ah, I'm warm. You know, and then he and then he worships the other half of this block of wood. And then in chapter 46, it talks about a metalsmith. Some pour out gold from their bags, weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. They bow down and worship it, lift it on their shoulders and carry it. They set it in their place and there it stands from that spot. It cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Right. And then here's the bottom line. In 44, it, it draws the bottom line. Shall a person, such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is, the, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Right? And it reminded me of that text that says that at certain points in history, God will send a strong delusion so that people believe a lie. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder, like at this point, obviously they haven't reached that point because God is still working with them. But there comes a point in human history where everybody's had their chance. Nature has spoken, you know, our understanding of science and biology has spoken, all of the things spirituality has spoken, you know, modern society has had everything's had a chance to let people get to know God. And there will come a point when the deluded remain deluded for the rest of time, right? Mm -hmm. And they will stay deluded and they will walk blindly like this thing where it says, it says um, a person, such a person feeds, he is misled by a deluded heart. He cannot save himself or even think to question, is not this thing in my right hand a lie, right? That is the level of blindness that we're talking about. And it's, At this point in Israel's history, God is still struggling against that to establish himself as a worthy God in their eyes. And he's furious, you know, rightfully so. 
and he's pointing out all of the things that he's done for them, which they are conveniently ignoring because they don't want to see it. They'd rather do this smaller, tangible thing that's right in front of them. You know, but that's an interesting thing, like seeing repeatedly through our readings how God has worked so hard with each generation to catch their attention. And yet in the last days, you know, from reading Revelation, we know that eventually he stops trying. He's done. Everyone's had their chance. So seeing how seriously he works at this to catch their attention in the past makes me kind of look to the future when that that final line happens and go ooh that's going to be that's going to be bad look how patient he is mm-hmm. look how patient he is and eventually that patience ends yeah and that's really kind of been a lot of what we've been talking about through all of Isaiah not just Isaiah but I think it's really been hitting hard in Isaiah of how hard God has been working with the people and trying trying to call them back um even through these things that are coming up, you know, like Israel being carried off by the Assyrians and eventually Judah being carried off by Babylon. Yeah. And he, even that is his effort to call them back. Now, in the in in yeah. light of what you were just talking about there, Karen, what do you what do we think of uh, verse 18 in here where it says they do not know nor understand for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Mm-hmm. That's 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 an interesting phrase in the middle of all this when when we have been talking about it and uh, God's calling, you know, what do you what do you what do we make of that? You know, I was I was looking at this and while I was reading it, it's like God is pointing out the obvious. And in a way, I took it as I read through it a couple of times is I don't I don't know how you feel. And this might not be the right word, but almost a little bit of sarcasm. To say that, listen, you're doing all this with innate objects. You know, the woodworker uses half to build an idol and half to cook his food. It's like he's pointing out this simplistically because he's almost saying you're not getting it. You're you're bowing down to a thing that you're cooking with Mm -hmm. or that a smith is working with. There's nothing there. I am it. And it's I don't know. I felt like it was almost. A little bit of sarcasm there. Very much so. Later well, on, he says, I am God. I will not give my glory to another. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what all of this is going to. It's like he's using whatever means necessary with contemporary examples to them to point out how completely asinine what they're doing yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's there's and Jesus says this, too, he says, well, I mean, if you saw with your eyes, if you heard with your ears, right. you turn and repent, but you won't. And that's when, so it, I mean, he's basically saying like, well, you won't hear what I'm saying, but then he says what he says anyways, right? Because he, the, the end goal is he wants people to repent. He wants people to turn. And I've said it before, I will say it again, is that this has relevance to us because this pertains to where we are right now mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, as we look at Isaiah 44, 5, and 6, there are so many places that those things show up in Revelation. Being God, marking God marking his people, them writing, saying, basically, it's, it's a sign of ownership, right? People buy, people buy watches and pay a lot of money for them because they're a certain brand, right? They, they, that's what they are. 
and and God is saying, yeah, I want you to choose to be my people. And we see it in Revelation. I just jotted it down a few places that we see that being marked. It's Revelation 1, 3, 7, 13, 14, 20. I mean, this is this is this is important because this pertains to our future. This just isn't a study of the past. And to Karen's point, is that God is working, 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 working. And and here's here's where this this is the the final moments of the of the game. It's in Revelation 22:11. Let the evildoer do evil still. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. This is this is like that is that's the final seconds of the game. OK, and God isn't coming down and saying, well, I've decided that you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, because it's some kind of arbitrary decision that God made. He's saying, well, you chose. And I will let you that's I mean, look at it. Revelation twenty two eleven starts with the word let like, well, OK, I will let you stay with the side you've chosen. So, OK, there you go. And now I'm going to make it official. And that's why these things in. Isaiah are, I mean, they're really important. God's making the appeal to Israel, to literal Israel in the Middle East long ago before the Babylonian captivity saying, please turn to me, not all the other things that you've turned to, whether it's Egypt or chariots or whatever. They, they always come up with something. Um, these is turned to me. And it's interesting that there's this contrast back and forth. We've mentioned this is that he'll say you're bowing down to wood, but I'm the creator or you're bowing down to metal, but I'm the one who actually made things. And we see the appeal to God as creator show up in Revelation, Revelation 14. You know, when it's the three angels messages, the, the, the basis, the right to this is to say, look, I'm the one who created you. That's why I get to have a say in this. That's why Isaiah is important, because it's not just history. It's also very, it's the same theme that plays out in the future. Theme of humanity, yeah, for sure. We just haven't gotten a whole lot smarter, have we? We just have different idols and different ways that we act it out, but it's the same same stuff from beginning to end. Sin is sin. Yep. There um, are ways now that we place other things in front of God when we shouldn't. Right. So I had... Um, I had an interesting thing come to my mind while I was reading this, and it's it's a girl's point of view, and I want to throw this at you guys and see what you think. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> uh-oh, what was that? <laughs> that's, that's not even nice. <laughs> so, so um, God sets himself up as the romancer of his church, right? Yeah. Um, in Hosea, we saw how he used a romantic relationship and the commitment of marriage to illustrate what he was trying to do with his people and how his people were responding. It was not complimentary to his people, in case you don't remember. (laughs) But when I think from a girl's point of view, as, as we've read into this in all of its details, and these are all things that we've read before, but we're reading it chronologically this time, and it makes it unfold a different way to me. And one of the things that has stood out to me is how determined of a lover God is. He knows he has what I need. And he is 
outright pursuing me and proving over and over again with plenty of illustrations how he can and will take care of me. And if I turn my back on that, he is outraged and hurt and jealous. And then he tries again. So that is from a female perspective, that is very, that is everything that I want in a man. That is everything I want in a man. And I guess I'm curious how modern masculinity sees that because here on earth in the smaller settings of our household, you know, men are kind of set up to be the leaders. And yet as his church, we're in a position of responding more in the feminine role and I'm guess I guess I'm curious how that fits into you guys' heads. Like to me, that's a natural sequence. Somebody else leads and I step into that. I see something I want. So somebody, a male, comes to me and says, I am a leader. Here are the qualities I have to offer you. Do you want to be part of this? And I say yes or no. It is an interesting uh perspective to put on it, and it really does like uh like it makes us have to think of things differently. Um, I mean, I could say as a man, I want to be wanted by a woman, particularly mm-hmm. by my wife, you know, but do I ever think of her as the one to do the wooing? Not so much, not really. In my mind, I think of her, I tend to think of the woman as more of the prize to be won. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, it, it does. It makes me, it, we got to think, we have to think differently than we generally do. So to to try to turn it around and think, okay, a woman pursuing me, um, on the one hand, that would be really cool. On the other hand, it puts me into a, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know where that puts me on the other hand. Maybe because it would just it's not a, it's, be great. It's not a woman. I would argue with your point of view because it's not a woman pursuing you. It is something. Well, yeah. Strong and bigger than you offering you a place in what they have going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah but it's still it's still it, it is a different perspective than i guess our modern western view of romance uh i don't know how it is in other parts of the world i don't know how much the wooing goes one way or the other um but it does make us as men have to change our perspective on it and understand just how much God is wooing us, what that means for him to be uh, pursuing us like that. I mean, you know, one of the perspectives I guess I could put back on it is some of the, you know, the, the movies you'd watch back when we were younger and, or I suppose even today, I don't watch them so much anymore, but um, one of the things I could think of right off, off the bat, it's a movie called can't buy me love. And uh, I mean, the guy, this guy wants this girl so badly that he's willing to pay her like a thousand dollars just to act like she's his girlfriend. And, <laughs> and, um, cause he's like head over heels for her and he thinks it'll also, you know, make him, uh, raise his status in the school and whatnot. But it's just the, 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 the extent to which sometimes we as men will go to get the attention of a woman. And and try to woo her over to us, whether she's interested or not. Sometimes, um, it, it uh, I can, I, I I can sort of see God's side of it 
maybe a little better than I see the church's side of it. So I don't know. What do you other other guys think? I think Karen's made a very good point in that God shows up and says, this is who I am. And he tries to reveal to us who he is in so many different ways. And in Isaiah here, one of the key metaphors is creator Mm -hmm. and powerful uh, through nature. And he says, this is who I am. Do you, and I think Karen's spot on here. Do you want part of this? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm inviting you to. Is this, don't you want this? <clears throat> and it's up to us to respond to that. And I think where we get in trouble is where we say, yes, we want the power of God, but no, we don't want to use it the way in his way. And this is where Jesus gets into trouble in the New Testament because he shows up and says, this is God's kingdom. And they think, well, we don't want that kind of kingdom. We want a kingdom where we get to kick booty on the Romans. We want a kind of kingdom where we all get rich. Um, He feeds the 5,000 and they show up the next day and he says, I know why you're here. It's not for spiritual lessons. It's because you want more sandwiches. And we... We go for the wrong thing in in relationships here in this world, and we do the same thing with God. And so, yeah, there's a lot of parallels, and and we're not making this up. I mean, I think Karen is seeing something that is here, not making up something to to because God's the one who put that that metaphor in place in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and you know, it's from the very beginning all the way to Revelation, where that's what he he calls us to, and we keep just drifting away. And, you know, the book of Matthew spends a lot of time talking about God's kingdom. This, to Karen's point, God saying, this is, this is, this is who I am and what I'm doing. Do you want part of this? That's the, that's a large part of the book of Matthew. It's a theme. And he's saying, this is my kingdom. Do you want this kind of kingdom? And we see these two they see this interplay between the, the people of that day wanting a different kind of kingdom than God is offering. And see, some get it. They're like, oh, wait, I think I see what kind of kingdom you're talking about. And some are like, yeah, we see it and we don't want it. We, we want something different. You know, I, and I would agree with, with both of you on that, you know, cause when I was looking at it and thinking about it, it's that, I think God offers offers us everything. But I think it's that great controversy where Satan offers the shiny glittery thing. The squirrel as you as we've talked about before that takes our attention and reverts it back to self and that shiny inanimate object that takes our attention where God is saying, "Listen, I can give you all this." And I think it's in its enormity and in its immenseness that it doesn't attract everyone's eye, if that makes sense. But it's that self part and it's that lure of the devil that gets our attention. It's the the shiny cars, the, the cool technology that diverts our attention away from God. And I think it was the same thing that happened back then. It was like, do you want to rule the world like the Babylonians or like the Romans, and that's where they got caught. That if I could have everything and possess it in this world, then we're better for it. Where God is like, no, you're not seeing the big picture. I'm trying to present you eternal life, 
and you're not getting it. Yeah, exactly what you just said, Tracy, is what I was thinking as I listened to you talk. It was like, it's it's big picture versus small picture. And so, like, God's inviting us up into a bigger picture, you know, bigger than we can even imagine. He tells us that flat out, like, you can't even imagine the things I have in store for you. But even the parts that we can imagine are pretty big, right? And then here comes Satan. Like, oh, are you having a bad Monday? Here. Here's a small... Here's a here's a small picture, right? Mm-hmm. Did you fight with your spouse on Thursday night and you're not feeling very good about that person or yourself? Here's a small picture. Here's a small picture. Here's a small picture. And in our, um, I would say, self-focused moments of unhappiness, that small picture feels awfully good. And we'll reach out and take it and never once realize that it's an idol. That's 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 the equivalent of sitting in front of a fire with half of a piece of wood in it while we worship the other half of the piece of wood. And we, you know, Satan is very smart and he he has helped us create a very busy world with a million distractions and with a million distractions. Like exactly like you said, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Oh my gosh, look, there's a thing. Look, there's a shiny thing. Here's here is a small band-aid to help my feelings through this moment where I'm upset. And I buy out, I step out of the big picture and I step into the small picture without ever consciously choosing against God's kingdom and into Satan's kingdom. It just feels better right now. Yep. Anyway, I just I I was I kept thinking that as I was reading I, I, and I have over the last couple of weeks, like, you know, like this is the ultimate for a woman. I wonder how the guys feel about this, because in the role of Christ in the church, the church is the responder in the woman's role. I was just yeah. curious. Yeah, no, I love it because it makes me it makes us change our perspective and makes yeah. us really think about what God is doing. Um, you know, on that that end of that chapter is just talking about how God is saying, "I haven't forgotten you. Don't think I've forgotten you. I made you, and I haven't forgotten you." Uh, and uh, so, so putting our brains into that different perspective, it's it's good. It opens up our our, our perceptions. Uh, now, <clears throat> let's move on into Isaiah chapter forty-five. And I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't. I don't know if. The chronology is bouncing around a bit here. I don't know if this is more predictive in nature or if this is Isaiah talking later after Babylon has has uh, done their thing. No, this is this is before because okay. they're they're in Babylon. They're not into Babylon yet. They spend 70 years in Babylon and they don't get out until Medo-Persia yeah. comes through and displaces the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's at the very, very end of chapter 44. Um, God's talking about um, Jerusalem being, you know, uh, empty and then inhabited, and then he just drops this name in in, in verse uh, twenty eight. He says, "Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd?" God is talking about Cyrus, his shepherd. And we're like, "Wait a minute, what?" And then he shows up again in chapter forty five, and it's the coolest thing. God says, "I call you by your name." I name you, though you do not know me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and there's so much, and there's prophecy in this because Cyrus probably isn't even born yet. Um, his kingdom hasn't really done anything yet. God is laying the groundwork, saying He's said it over and over, like you're going to go into captivity, but I will bring you back. 
And he's saying, and this is so that you know that I know what I'm talking about. He said, these idols, they can't tell you what's going to happen. And I am doing kind of a, not a parallel reading, but I, I'm also working through the book of Acts right now. And this little phrase, I name you, though you do not know me, really struck me, is that God has plans for you, even if you don't really understand who God is yet. And I read the story of the conversion of Saul to Paul. Uh, and Saul didn't really know. And Jesus says, hey, um, quit persecuting me. And Saul's like, well, wait, who, who are you? Because he thought he was persecuting, you know, Christians, which I think is a very interesting thing that Jesus identifies himself with the persecuted. But the point is, is that Jesus had plans for Paul, even though Paul didn't even really understand who God was. And God is saying to Cyrus here, I have plans for you, even though you don't know me. And God, in the bigger perspective, as we zoom out, <clears throat> is saying to Israel over and over, look, I have plans for you guys, even though you don't get it. Yeah, well, and the fact that this is happening earlier than that makes this whole thing all that more uh, fascinating because God talks to him, talks about Cyrus um, <clears throat> in verse one. He calls him his uh, his anointed. This is mm -hmm. God's. He calls Cyrus. God calls Cyrus his anointed, and that word anointed is the same word that gets translated as Messiah. So that's that is an interesting perspective to put on this, where God is setting up. Cyrus to do something that is going to ultimately save Israel. Yep. Um, and and, and uh, sort of fascinating to think of it in that term. Absolutely. And, and he, yeah, and God is preparing the way for Cyrus. He's like, I'm I'm going <laughs> to how'd they put it in the Dukes of Hazard? We're going to uh, straighten the curves and flatten the hills for you here. Um there's some there's some uh, theology for you from the Dukes of Hazard. Oh my goodness, where do you get all this stuff? How is that taking up space in your brain? <laughs> some of these must have a seventy uh, 70s TV sitcoms rolling at home. <laughs> Gracious. But okay, think about this: is that Cyrus later is born, and he becomes the he becomes the king, uh, ruler of this part of the world, and then Daniel shows up and says, "Hey, there's this god you don't know about." And he is the reason you're the ruler. And more than that, he has a special role for you to play. And that is to help rebuild his kingdom in Israel. And Cyrus, at this point, probably is looking at this going like, wow. Okay, that's really weird. I was called out in a prophecy, I don't know, 100 years ago. And here, so there's this God who brought me to this. And is God is asking me to be the deliverer of his people? And think about this. I mean, he's, he's a foreign conqueror, right? And when we look at the rebuilding of Jerusalem and Nehemiah and Ezra and stuff like this, not only does he allow the people to leave, he sends them with, with materials. He pays them. When the people around him hassle the Israelites, he says, actually, uh, no, not not only are they not doing the wrong thing, you're doing the wrong thing. And we're going to make you pay taxes to them so that they can. Re that, that makes no sense. Right. That a foreign conqueror would send their servants out of the country, pay for them to rebuild their capital and say, <laughs> uh, make it a special point to rebuild your temple to your God. I mean, that's so far out there. But Cyrus does it. It happens. And this is a testament. I mean, the, God's people won't do this. This is absolutely it's a headbanger, really. 
uh, you know, forehead on the desk, is that God's people won't be faithful to this. But the king of of uh, Medo Persia is like, oh yeah, there's a God in heaven, and I'll do what He asks Him to do, asks me to do, and I'll send away these people and pay a lot of money, and sure, I'll obey. It just really puts into some pretty sharp relief what God's people are and are not doing, and I think should give us great pause as we think about leaders both in our nation and the world. Like they're not standing for God, they're they're outside God's fold. And it's like ah. God has pretty big borders. I mean, we've got Nebuchadnezzar who writes part of the book of Daniel. He's not an Israelite. And the Israelites had to get their head to Karen's picture about what 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 is God's kingdom and what does he stand for um, was a little bit bigger than their conception. Yeah, so it really is fascinating how God is is bringing this other guy up to be to be that um, savior. I mean, in, in a lot of ways. Yep. And it's so counter to our way of thinking yes i'm going to pull you away into a place you don't want to be and yep. that is going to be your salvation bizarre fascinating just fascinating because we're all like oh why do the bad things happen to the good people well because sometimes those bad things change our perspective those bad things make us think differently those bad things make us you know ideally they make us reach out to god you know, we we have those choices when those bad things happen. It's like, okay, am I going to wallow in my suffering or am I going to look to God and say, God, help me? Because that's what he's asking for. That's what he's been asking for through all of, of Isaiah is for us to just reach out and say, God, help me. And, um, and so he's saying, I'm doing this so that they'll know that there's no other God. And when he says they, I think we're talking about Israel, reminding Israel there is no other God. So Get your act together. <laughs> um, talks about God. He's going to rain down righteousness. And if I remember the way that was written there, um, he talks about how he's the one who created it, like created righteousness. God is the he is the fabricator of righteousness. Um, everything we think of as good and right and holy and and, and you know stuff that should be. That was made by God. It's because of his actions. It's because of what he has done. And um, when we get into verse nine, and there was an interesting uh, 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 quote there, woe to him who strives with his maker. Now, when I was reading that, my first thought was to think of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And I think we've talked about that, who that that angel was probably um, an incarnation of, of Christ. And how when this happened with Jacob, when he was wrestling it was like a good thing, but it was a difference of the way that he was wrestling. It's like he was wrestling saying, um, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. But here we're talking about striving with God as almost like in opposition. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's like these the, interesting that there's like two different ways we can think of wrestling with God. In okay, one hand, so. I would be interested in going back to the original word in the original language because so I've got a parallel Bible that has four different versions. It's two translations and two paraphrases. So striving, right? We remember that from Jacob. But uh -huh. then um, instead of wrestling, it gets translated as quarreling, mm -hmm. arguing, and fighting. So I think it's I think it's not the physical 
no. like like what Jacob did. Right. Right. It's yeah. the back and forth. Right. Yeah, it is just it was just the phrase made me think of that and it instantly brought up a contrast in my mind of what Jacob was doing versus what the Israelites are doing now. Where where they're and not just is I mean all of this stuff we end up putting into modern day connotations, you know, where we're, we're, we're seeing aspects of society that just want to reject everything that God does because they try to say, Oh, that's backwards. That's old fashioned. That's that, that there's, there's no place for that in modern society. Um, and God is saying, woe to you. You know, I mean, that's old language, but woe to you who, who is striving, who is arguing, who is fighting against me on this. Because you don't know what you're talking about, you know. Right. And this is this is in the context of imagine you're Cyrus, and you discover this ancient scroll. This is to Cyrus, and basically God is saying, "Hey, um, I made you." So instead of you asking, like, "What are you doing? Why are you doing that?" You're making. A, I'm the. You know, as it says right here, there's a metaphor. Does the clay say to him who forms it, "What are you making?" Or your work has no handles. It's kind of like. What is your, your business to question how I'm doing this? And as it rolls forward in verse 12, I made the earth. I created man on it. You know, God's kind of laying down, hey, here's who you are. <clears throat> here's who I am. And he says of Cyrus, I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free. <laughs> not for price or reward. He's saying, nope, you're not going to do it because you're going to get paid. You're doing it because it's the right thing. And Cyrus does it. It's incredible. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting connotations there in 45, you know, talking about, you know, are you going to question how you were made? Does the, did, um, you know, the talk about, um, you know, what are you beginning? What to whom? Who says to his father? What are you beginning? Or the woman, um, what have you brought forth? And it makes me think of of people who don't like the way they were made. You know, they 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 want to fight against it. They don't you know, they want to question why God would, you know, why did God make me like this? You know, type of thing. I I don't know. There's a there's probably some deeper, um, deeper meaning in that. But um, this 45 continues. Let's see here. Um, verse 18. I am the Lord. There is no other. We've I mean, that's really that's really the context of everything we're talking about today, especially with all this idolatry. Um and keeping God, keeping God as God. We certainly can't do it, keep ourselves as God. We try to a lot of times. Uh, but um, <clears throat> verse 19, I have not spoken in secret. And that comes up later, I think, too, in, um, where was that? That was towards the end of the reading, I think. But I haven't spoken in secret. Everything's been laid out right there in the open for everybody all the time. And... There is no, there, there's really no excuse because I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been trying to keep things from you. So at the beginning of chapter 46, I took this a bit personally, probably because I'm coming up on my 50th birthday this month and I'm having huge amounts of age angst. Mm -hmm. But verse four says, even to your old age and gray hairs, which is just not nice. <laughs> I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Mm -hmm. And I love that verse, but I got to say, I didn't like the opening line. I, I don't I don't like that opening line. 
I'm almost 50. <laughs> oh, 50. Beautiful verse, though. I mean, my goodness. That's everything you want from your God right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, as we all, all of us, all four of us here are getting, we're, 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 we're getting there. <laughs> and, um, you know, the world throws things at us as in, in our, in our upper, upper years. I'll call them upper years. I don't know. That's probably the wrong, maybe not a great way to put it, but, uh, as our perspective shift and such, but knowing that God is there holding us up as we meet new challenges, you know, some of them are, are, are physical things with our body. Some of them are just, um, challenges of how we're perceiving the world. Some of them uh, are self-induced. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest here. Some of our challenges are self-induced. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Um, <clears throat> but yes, being held up by God and, and, you know, it goes on who, who, who can we compare to God? Which again is the theme of the reading this week, and and more and more talk about idols and such. But how can you compare anything or anyone to the God who made you, who sustains you, who, even as we reach fifty, mm. is holding us up, even though we've got more gray hairs than we used to, you know, <laughs> and and probably going to get more, lose <laughs> <laughs> <Or> more. <laughs> well at least you don't have to worry about it being gray tracy well there you go (laughs) oh but yeah who can compare who can compare to that you know and i i think back on the israelites every time this kind of thing comes up and i think why in the world would these people ever have turned away in the first place because at least you know their forefathers saw so many amazing miracles coming out of Egypt. And I know we're several generations down the road and kids don't listen to their parents and kids are less likely to listen to their grandparents. But, um, you know, it didn't take them. It didn't take the original generation coming out that long to turn away, you know, and no, why it took them like 10 seconds, like they got across the Red Sea, they got a safe distance away. They stopped at the base of Mount, whatever that was called. Moses goes up to get the 10 commandments and they make a golden calf. Mm-hmm. They're stressed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they tried to say that. I mean, I think it was Aaron even who said it. He tried to say, "Yeah, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt." But yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's like Aaron, smack, smack, smack. You know, you just want to crack him across the face a couple times and say, "Wake up! What are you doing? You look at what just what you just did, and 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 then look at what you did after that." You know, uh, it's just it's just so baffling to me like how can you compare the god who just walked you people through the red sea not a drop on you and now you you turn right around and you're saying hey look over here at the shiny thing that i made and let's worship that baffling so to bring that back to what we're reading here um at the end of of chapter 46 he says i am god there is none like me i make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what is still to come I say my purpose will stand and I will do as I please, right? And mm-hmm. and then from there, he goes on to talk about what the fall of Babylon is going to be like. Yep. Yeah, he's painting the whole future here. He's, 
See, this is stuff you guys haven't even heard about because, and that's to Karen makes a good point. God, this is this is part poetry. This is part prophecy and narrative. God is saying, "My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish my person, uh, my purpose." That's forty six ten, and at the end of eleven, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So we've got Cyrus called out. Then we Babylon hasn't even arisen yet. And God's already telling about their downfall. And yeah. it is literal. They do fall. It's very interesting. I would encourage uh, the rest of us on the podcast or our listeners, read Isaiah 47 and Re- Revelation 18 together. Mm. It is uncanny. One is talking about the literal Babylon and how it falls overnight, which, by the way, is not a metaphor. It actually, literally, the kingdom falls down overnight uh, to the invading armies. It's a really fascinating military story as to how that happens, but it happens, and it happens overnight. Mm. And in Revelation 18, the metaphorical Babylon of the last days also falls overnight. In an hour, it says. And we think, how can this be? How can this be? And I I would just challenge you this. I took my son to the bank this last week and on the sign outside the bank, it says basically some some form of please wear a mask. And I thought. I never thought I would see a day where Uh I would go to the front door of a bank and it says put on a mask. Right. Or you come in. Right. I'm like, that is about as far away as from what I could ever. I would say now under what circumstances could that ever happen? Give me all my money. <laughs> and yeah, it's and yet I guess my point is, is that when God says in 46, look, I've said this is going to happen. It's going to happen. You might not understand going back to 45, uh, 9 and 10. Hey, who are you telling me how I'm going to do this? You're asking me how this is going to go down. Mm, no, not your place. Yeah. Trust me, though, it's going to happen. You might not know how. And when it does, you'll probably say, whoa. But mm-hmm. it is going to happen, both literal Babylon in Isaiah 47 and the metaphorical Babylon in Revelation 18. Yeah, it is fascinating the way that we if our eyes have been opened, if we if we've if we've been keeping them open and looking around and um, just seeing how things come at us sideways in and, and things happen that we never would have expected. Yeah. And and we've seen we've seen our own society shift the whole world just shift in ways that. We're going, wow, why, what, nobody would have expected that. Um, <laughs> and, and we, we, you know, we've kind of been looking for certain things to happen as Christians. We look for certain things to happen. And now we're starting to say, well, none of this is happening the way I would have ever thought it would have. And what's coming is probably going to happen differently than I w- ever would have expected. Yeah. yeah. So the, the interesting follow-up, so, so God says he makes all these bold, godlike statements like me and no other, right? And then at the beginning of 48, he get, he tells them specifically why he's doing it. He says, I knew how stubborn you were. Your yeah. neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze, right? Yeah. Never going to bend. Nothing's getting in. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say my images brought them about. Yeah. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. And yeah. there's yet another purpose for prophecy. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. What'd you guys think of verse eight in chapter 47? And I think it came up a couple of times. Is this, this was like, Ooh, boy, somebody is, uh, somebody is getting a little big in their britches or they're pr- putting on britches that are a little too big for them or too big it's, for their britches. I'll get the, I'll get the phrase. Wow. <laughs> like a little too big for this their britches. Is this is, this is, I mean, it's echoed in revelation 18. Yes. And this is speaking uh-huh. of Babylon. I mean, we, we I mean, we've talked about this before in prophecy. You could take it to the people the, specifically as a people group at the time it was written to an individual that it was written. You can take it to say, well, there's the future as a group. There's future as individuals. And I think all those places have a valid spot. But it is this. I mean, this is saying, I think, to us as humans i'm just going to paint the biggest picture i can here don't get cocky don't think you're the one who sits around saying that's never going to happen to me yeah i think it's just another one of those warnings don't get too comfortable Mm -hmm. so so the verse it reads therefore hear this now you who are given to pleasures who dwell securely and this is the part that really stuck out to me who say in your heart i am and I lost my place. Hang on a second. There is no one else besides me. <laughs> Thank you. My, my glasses aren't on and my Bible was too far away. I shall not sit as a widow, nor, nor shall I know the loss of children. Why, that is some false security there. And, yeah. you know, if you look, if you look, complacency has historically and in contemporary times, com- comfort generally breeds complacency. And there's a great call in Revelation to come out of complacency and to let go of the idea that you are secure because of what you have. So when I read that, I thought modern day comforts aren't actually security. They feel like security because they're comfortable, but they are not actually security. The only security is in being at the feet of Jesus. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, there is some uh, there's some blasphemy happening there, too. Yep. I mean, who else do we ever hear say I am and there's no other like me? You know, that's what God has been saying this whole time. He's like, I, you know, he is the I am. This is uh, I mean, that's phrase... about idolatry. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get to Revelation 18 again. And we're <laughs> dealing with a with a, a power that sets itself up to be God. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to we got to be careful because we can become our own idols. Yep. Um, I, you know, I was I, I was thinking about this, how a while back I actually did a, a sermon on church about this, about how when we try to set up scenarios in our minds about how the way things should go. And then we get really upset if they don't happen the way that we uh, fantasize them to be. We're we're kind of we're kind of setting we're kind of setting ourselves up to try to be God when we're trying to dictate the way things are going to happen. And it's not that hard for us to set ourselves up as our own idols, even when we don't think we are. We think we're being humble. We think we're being righteous. And uh, and then the times when we get upset about something, we want things to go our way. We tend to set ourselves up on a pedestal as being the ones who are right and and, and everything. But that's false ownership. I mean, yes. it's the, those things that we have are real. It's just that they're not from us. And so is if you think back about these, you know, God's indignant speeches about you, 
us going whoring after other gods or using the illustration of Hosea and Gomer that, that we studied through a few weeks ago. It's like he says over and over, I am your lover. I gave you, you had nothing. I came to you. I wanted you. I gave you all of these things. And then you were like, oh, hey, look what I have. And you turned around and you gave them to other people as if they were yours. Right. So it's mm. this false sense of ownership that yeah. just change, changes priorities. And, and uh, it's it's not pretty. Right. Well, as we move into then our last chapter for the week, uh, Isaiah 48, it's um, some it's interesting stuff here where he he addresses the house of Jacob and he says called by the name of Israel for some reason that was just sticking out at me and I had to go look remind myself exactly what the names meant house of Jacob meaning heel catcher and Israel meaning he will rule as God um it was just sort of like like the this re, this reminder that okay you guys you are the ones who say I'm God you know you 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 started with a lower status, but now, well, I mean, a lower status, but uh, with a with a perspective, a certain perspective, and now you are the ones, or are supposed to be the ones, who say that I'm your God. And there, there was a phrase there that was interesting to me. They, they talk about how they swear by the name of the Lord, but not in truth or righteousness. Yeah, I didn't. Enlighten me. I didn't totally get that because then it turns right around and talks about how they lean on God. So um, enlighten me. What what it's, we're meaning there? I think this is this is um, I, I did a study because I, I uh, did a presentation recently. Is If you look, if you do one of the online commentaries or concordances and you type in the phrase in my name, mm-hmm. it's it's almost an even split. Between the good things that are done in my name. You know, Jesus says, you know, pray, ask for things in my name. And, you know, all these things in my name is a good thing. But almost half of the things that are done, quote, in my name are bad things. There will be false Christs who come in my name. Mm-hmm. There will be people who perform false miracles in my name. There will be people who turn you over to death in my name. And so I think he's giving a warning saying, just because somebody's wearing the T-shirt that says, I'm with him, you know, pointing to God, doesn't mean they necessarily are. Because he right. said this over and over in Isaiah. It's like, you guys say, Isaiah 29, like, you say with your lips that you're mine, but your heart is far from me. He, I think he's giving this as a warning, like, hey, look, just saying who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel. Like, oh, yeah, he's our God. Because remember, they never stopped worshiping. They yeah. never, uh, Israel never stops worshiping who they worship and what they worship and what's in their heart. That's a real question. And I think God is calling them out here saying, hey, just saying, oh, yeah, we're we're with him. Like, mm, that's just not enough just to say the name. But remember, there was that there's that section in Amos almost also that kind of calls it out. And, you know, like, I hate your songs. I hate your worship and your festivals. I don't even want to hear them. Right. Yeah. And it's because of the state of the people's hearts. Yes. Like we don't fool anybody but ourselves and each other when we come at God and our real focus is elsewhere and our outward trappings all says say the right thing. Right. Yeah. That we don't fool anybody. We don't fool God. We fool each other. We can fool each other. We don't fool God. Right. And I think, too, the same thing that we've studied in the past of, you know what, I don't delight in 
in the sacrifices and that thing because your heart's not in it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that to me, that was just a, a subtle warning, you know, just like Eric said, just because it has my name on it doesn't mean it's me. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. I kind of thought that's where things were going, but um, I just wanted some clarification there because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't quite sure I was understanding. So that's, that's great. Now, God, you know, he goes on and he talks about how I've told you what I was going to do. I've told you beforehand and I did it. And I told you earlier so that you couldn't say that it was your idols that made it happen. I think that was kind of a cool thing for him to say is like, nah, you know, all this idolatry and stuff. Don't, don't, don't you be trying to say that these weird gods that you've made for yourselves have actually done anything for you because I told you, I told you I was going to do this stuff and, and I've done it. And then he kind of flips that on its ear though. And he says, I've also told you some new stuff. I've told you some new things and I told you right now so that you can't claim that you've ever heard this stuff before. You can't claim that you already knew because you haven't heard this before. Uh, and so that's, that was kind of interesting. And uh, it's, it goes a bit to how we've talked about and Eric has talked a lot about how God doesn't do things the same way over and over and over again. And we, we just have to keep our eyes open for, um, how he works because sometimes, sometimes he does things you can, we, we can go, oh yeah, okay. That's the way he worked in the past. And then other times we go, wow, that is, that was out of left field and I never would have expected it. And, and so, you know, this is, it's like God going, hey, you know what? I'm God. I'm God. And uh, don't, <laughs> don't be, don't be putting any of this, don't be putting any of this uh, credit to your idols. And, uh, you know, he's doing this. He's a lot of times he says, I'm doing it for my own sake. I'm doing it for, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I want to do it. This has been an ancient plan. God has had had this in store forever to redeem Israel. Um, he says, I am he. I'm the first. I'm also the last. That made me think of Revelation. Speaking of all the all the, uh, <laughs> the references to Revelation we've had. Yeah. Um, I'm the first and I'm the last. In fact, a lot of what we start talking about here in the end of Isaiah 48, it really sounds specifically like Christ speaking to me. I am he. I am the first. I'm also the last. Well, that's who's talking in in, in um, Revelation. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's always Jesus talking about that. I'm the first. I'm the last. I started it. I'm going to finish it. And again, he says, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. I have always been open to you. I have always shared with you what's what, my, my plans, my ideas. You know, I've always tried to tell you that I want to save you. I have always tried to tell you that I want to lead you. I've always tried to give you the perspective of understanding that my ways are good. And I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't stood back and watched you fail and then go up, oh, see, see, no, no, no. You just been doing it wrong. I'm not going to tell you what you, you know, I'm not going to tell you. No, that's not the way he is. And he says, now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. This is what makes me think that this is like Christ, because this to me sounds like a statement of the Trinity. It's an interesting way of, of perceiving God in the Old Testament, because a lot of times we think more of it as the father 
um, like overseeing everything. So there were there were a couple of verses that stood out in chapter 48. Verse 11, I, I mentioned earlier because it's just such a good summary of everything that's going on. He says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. That's a marvelous God statement, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that really stood out to me was he. there's a contrast in verses 17 and 18 and then the last verse of the chapter. Mm -hmm. um, so in 17, the last half of the verse, he says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then the contrast to that is there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So in, back to the big picture that, okay, fine, we're too small to see it, but back to the big picture, even as we're capable of understanding it, following God's will is what will get you where you want to get. Everything else is a distraction. It's a false yes. It's a false offer. It's a small picture. And it is an idol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> that says it great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The even, yeah, the shiny stuff. The shiny I, stuff. And, and to be fair, I love shiny stuff. I, t I love shiny oh, stuff. Yeah. I could be, I'm so easily distracted. It is hard for me to pull my attention off of the things that make me feel secure and comfortable here and continually reorient to that higher, bigger thing that is that I don't even fully understand. That's hard for me. Yeah. I yeah, think that's it's... hard for everyone. I think that's why Satan uses that as a tactic. Yeah. Because we're easily works. distracted. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> And it's interesting here in the context of of basically telling them you guys are going to be carried off, off to Babylon. So don't don't think that security. This is the fascinating part of this. Don't think that your security is what's going to save you because that security that you are idolizing is going to get taken away. Mm -hmm. You being secure is not keeping you in God's kingdom. And man. You know, like you're talking small picture stuff, Karen. You know, how hard do we try to hang on to our security because we like having our house? We like having, um, you know, those those comforts. We like having our income. We like, you know, but what if what if losing our security is our salvation? Right. That's hard for us. That's hard for us to think about. And that's kind of what God is saying here is like even your security is is an idol to you and you've got to stop holding on so hard to that. And I it's... don't think, just to be clear, I don't think that this means, I don't think that this means be careless with what God has given you. I don't think that it means don't be a good steward, don't plan for the future, don't make an effort. I don't think it means any of that. No. I just think it means don't bank on that as the ultimate security because this world is... You know, Jesus said it himself when he was uh, after he was crucified and he was raised from the dead and he's going back to heaven. And he says to the disciples, I have to go now because the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus himself acknowledges that there are two kingdoms. His kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom that is going on here is smaller, it's visible, it's tangible. It offers completely different systems of security and success than what God's does. And God is continually asking us to disconnect from this kingdom and buy into his kingdom. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to know where this world is going, go ahead and read the plagues of Revelation where God, the cup of God's wrath is finally full and the earth gets disassembled. Everything on the earth, everything that humans rely on gets disassembled before their eyes and there's nothing they can do to stop it. Right. And that's kind of the point. You know, all of our comforts, all of our comforts aren't what's going to save us. Yep. And those are certainly the idols of 21st century. And clearly, I think they were some of the idols of Israel. Um, um, in, in the in the uh, church that I go to uh, this weekend, I asked um, we, some somebody made some comment about, you know, the apocalypse and the final days and we have to run for the hills and whatever. And I was like, OK, but is there eyeliner? I just, this is important. <laughs> they said no. That, say that again. What was your phrase right now? The loss of security can lead to your salvation. Is that how you said it? Something like that. It must have been you're, really awesome. I don't remember very you're well. You're not applying that to my eyeliner, though, are you? Because my eyeliner is very important. <laughs> as long as you, hey, if you turn around to get it, there could be problems. Oh, Tracy, <laughs> stop punching holes in me. <laughs> you know, I heard that ash from a fire can serve just as well with the finely uh, tipped oh, piece nice. of wood. Oh, nice. Charcoal. You're right. I didn't think of that. I bet I'll look terrible in the rain, but it's fine. You know, but I was just thinking, and, and you know, sometimes just pearls come out, and <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't mention this during our whole podcast, but you know, I've been saying that I I just lost my dad on Thursday, and I kept saying, you know what, he was my security net, he was my security mm-hmm. net, and Matt, when you said that, you know, I think back to sermons that I've heard that said, don't look at it as a, as a setback. But look at it as a, as a set up for something greater. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, you put it into that perspective. It gives you it gives you an opportunity to rise here, Tracy. Um, you're the new patriarch. You know, and that's uh, that could be scary. It's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the same thing with my wife. You know, we're coming up on the second Christmas now without her mom. And she's looking to her dad. She's like, dad, what do you want to do for Christmas? And he's like, I don't know. And I was thinking about this. It's like, Shannon, you're the, you're the matriarch. Now you're the one who gets to make these decisions. Yeah, Your dad generation takes their turn being the hub. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know what? Your dad is actually looking to you and yep. this to me to Shannon. Your dad's looking to you to tell him what to do for Christmas because yeah. he doesn't know. He doesn't yep. know that that's always been, that's always been, uh, that was always Bunny's thing. You know, she would, she would set that up. And, and now she Shannon, Shannon is the matriarch. And sometimes, sometimes we have to experience these losses to get us to take that next step up. We have to, you know, we have to experience the downfalls to go, you know what? I've got to do something. I've got to, I've got to make a move now. And, and, and so that's kind of like, that's what God's doing here is like, you guys, you guys got comfortable. Yeah. You got comfortable and you were relying on other things. And of course he wants us to rely on God, but at the same time, he's telling Israel and he's telling us, 
make the step. You have to do something. You can't sit and be stagnant. You have to be moving. You have to be going forward. I have things for you, and it's it's right there, but you've got to step into it. And uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I think that really applies because you know when you sit down and really rationalize it, you know, um, when you have both parents, you're still the child. Yeah. No matter how old you are, right? right. You could be 52 years old and still be the no. You're you're my son. You're the, you're the kid. Listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, no matter how times have changed, you still use that as as um, the knowledge base or the guidance or the mentoring. And things change. Things yeah. change rapidly. Yeah. But that's what I was saying. Like in in you know earlier this week we were texting about this and that's exactly what I was trying to say to you, Tracy is like, if he raised you, you know, your character is about as solid as just about anybody I know, like, believe it or not, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That means (laughs) a lot. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a position now where you're not to say it isn't going to suck because that is, it's uncomfortable. All of those transitions are uncomfortable. I'm just saying like, I, I know you're ready. I know you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in a position where your mom will be looking to you. Your sister will be looking to you. Um, Matt, of course, you know. He's going to run. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down, Matt. Hang on. Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm so, I'm so sorry that that happened. That is, it's, it's awful. It is absolutely mm-hmm. awful. It is. It, is. it definitely I, is. And I certainly don't look forward to when that's my turn. But, you know, know. but we do, we have to, we have to experience the discomfort to get us to move out of what keeps us comfortable. And that's what's happening to Israel here. Um, And it's just I mean, you guys here in the podcast know, like for the last, what, how many years of my life I've been in horrible upheaval and everything I was trying to do just got dismantled. And now I live in a different state and I'm still trying to figure out why. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, I just, I just gave up. I was like, okay, well, clearly, clearly something else is going on and I am being redirected. And so, uh, God, where do you want me? You know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's all I could resort to. Cause it was like, yeah. Talk about being taken down. Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about somebody who has been really, really working hard to prepare for, you know, whatever. You know, we're talking about Karen here where she, hey, she's almost 50, but hey. she went, she went back to school. You got a mat. Well, did you actually get well, the first, masters? First, or you- I got unexpectedly single, which devastated my life in one direction. Right. Surprised all of us. And then as an, yes, surprised all of us. And then as an effort to restabilize going into my future, you know, I, I went back to school to get my master's, which I had wanted to do for a number of years, but which my spouse did not want me to do. And so I did I did that. And then when it came time at the end of the master's to do an internship and license, like everything fell apart, everything fell apart, everything fell apart, everything fell apart. I tried to stay at the job I was in. Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Um, student loans came due, rent went up, literally could not afford the roof over my own head anymore. Like everything, everything fell apart. And and I'm just sitting there going like, I'm usually a pretty organized, you know, proactive person who plans in advance and tries to make the best use of what I have and tries to be flexible. But 
literally everything fell apart. And now I live in a completely different state in a completely different setting that I ever would have guessed. And it's just the weirdest thing ever. Eh. Yeah. Well, and here's the real fascinating part about this to me, Karen, is that you are essentially physically speaking exactly where you were planning to be before you were unexpectedly single. Yes, that is. You were, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, but what it's like, it, it's so it's so interesting that while it was your idea, uh, it wasn't God's idea yet, you know, and then when it got outside of being your idea, then God is like, well, now it's time. <laughs> and your head is spinning going, what in the world is happening? Why, why, why? And but I don't know. You've been an interesting study on how to how to listen to God and just follow his leading. Even Hooray. when it's and hasn't that been fun? Well, no. The answer to that question is no. <laughs> yeah, I suppose not. I suppose <laughs> not. Um, but you know, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Very yeah, interesting. It's the last. So it's been over three years now since I became unexpectedly single. Every moment of it has been uncomfortable in different ways, and I have no idea how I got here. Well, I do know how I got here, but why I got here, but I am fascinated to see how the future will unfold. And now at my work this week, they announced uh, mandated vaccines, which will never be injected into my body without a whole lot more science behind it than what it currently has. And so now I'm like, oh, that's a fun little twist. Mm. Wow. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the world we live in is. I know. Wow, it's uh, oh, whoever I, man. I take a look at those adverse reactions and I'm like, no, I'd far rather take my chances with the disease itself. Well, and like we said before, who would have ever expected the things to happen the way they are? Right. Not one of us here. I don't think one, not even one of us here would expect to see these ha things happening the way they are. And we're like, man, and I, what? And I, know, I know I'm not alone. How many hundreds of thousands of people are out of the military and out of their jobs and out of everything else? Just, it, I, I know I'm not alone, but it's like, oh my goodness, ouch, guys. Okay, ouch. Mm -hmm. You know, but I was reading this week too, on the flip side of the coin, is um, one of the highest regarded uh nurse practitioner, well, doctor of nurse practitioning, uh, Margaret Fitzgerald said, you know, we have these same kind of calamities and um, divides in our country with um, measles and the measles immunization and vaccine. And when you look back at it now and, and people look at their immunization scars that they got for it, you know, the science wasn't there either, but it was a uh, a bold step that needed to be taken. And while, once again, like we said, while it, it hurts and you don't know what to expect and you would like to go with the science and leave it to nature, it's like it's a progression. And sometimes science and the research is lagging when um, the world is in need. And it's just, a, you know, a parallel to what's been seen before or in the past. Um, to overcome these kind of diseases. Well, yeah, I, I you know, I uh, as they look at what's happening to Israel back then, and we look at how things are going now, it's just I have has me going. Okay, what are we being prepared for? 
what's what's coming i mean we know you know we know as people who have studied the bible we know that things are coming we know that we know that the world's probably not going to get better before jesus comes and i don't know it's just a time it's time for us all to keep our eyes open keep our options open and um try try to listen for god's voice and and uh you know he might be speaking a little differently to all of us but we're all we're all headed towards towards the same place are we all heading into babylon are we in babylon you know um i think maybe a little bit of both so i don't know it's a it's an interesting time who what what was the isn't there somebody who may who, who any curse may you live in interesting times because if the times aren't interesting well then that means things are probably pretty good and when things get interesting that's when things when things start hitting the fan so yes it, it's uh it is an interesting time so definitely time for us to open our eyes stay alive be be awake and and um and, and just be ready well i don't know if we forgot but we're still podcasting guys <laughs> you can cut out the wildly irrelevant parts of that that went ridiculously long if we're still recording <laughs> i know I'll, I'll i'll figure it out but i think that's going to wrap it up for this week and uh next week i think we will get into isaiah chapters 49 through 53 while you're waiting for that you can reach out to us at attb podcast at the Look for us on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. And uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Karen. Uh Uh-oh, I forgot. Shoot. It was really interesting. Uh, I got you know, distracted. I was listening to Eric, and I lost what I was. Okay, never mind. I'll put my hand down now. Hey, you know what? You make fun of me for having seventies sitcoms stuck in my head. I do. What do and you have stuck in your so. head? You, apparently, you have nothing. You have apparently you have nothing in you. Listening to Eric. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, fine. You lose your opportunity. No, yeah. if you if you think of it, just shout it out. <laughs>